Hi, everyone. I'm Raj Kumar, president and editor-in-chief of DevX. This week, we'll be breaking down the big headlines in global development and bringing in some top experts to help us do it. If you want to follow along with the stories we're talking about, check out devx.com and subscribe to our daily newsletter, The Newswire. There's a link in the description. Follow us along on Twitter, and you can see many of the stories we're talking about today. And we'd love to hear what you think. This is This Week in Global Development. This is a special episode of This Week in Global Development, because I'm here with my colleague, Anna Gowell, who is the managing editor here. And we are in Marrakesh, Morocco. And, uh, before people get too jealous of the fact that we're here in Marrakesh, um, we are not in the Medina. We're not in some beautiful, charming uh, villa uh, here in this lovely city. We are actually in a conference room in a hotel, which is the way things tend to go when you go to meetings like the annual meeting of the World Bank and the IMF. Uh, but it's great to be with you, Anna. Great to be here as well, even in a conference room. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. The things we do for our listeners, right? We, want, we wanted the sound to be good. Uh, listen, this is a particularly important moment in time for the global development community. Uh, you know, the World Bank every year has their annual meeting, they and the IMF. Uh, but this is really, I think, the most hotly anticipated one that I've ever seen, partly because there is a new leader in Ajibanga. But, but also in the sense that the reason there's a new leader was the bank is, uh, is really seen as the key institution in the constellation of, of UN agencies and MDBs and bilaterals, et cetera. It's seen as now the key institution for really creating a new framework for the way development and climate are going to come together and get done uh, going forward. And uh, so there's a lot of anticipation. There's a lot of uh, a lot of people here. Uh, maybe Andy, just give everybody listening who's not here in Marrakesh a sense of what it's like to be here on the ground. I know you've been running from event to event, from interview to interview. Well, the interviews have all been fascinating and diverse because you get such different perspectives on Ajay Banga, especially. You know, some have described him as a breath of fresh air. Um, like you said, this uh, there's a lot of buzz going on. This is a widely anticipated meeting. Others, though, have, who have been seasoned veterans of these meetings have said there's a bit of stale air, uh, was one quote of somebody who's been here for, for 10 meetings. 10 years ago, we were talking about the same things, and that if we're in the same spot in 10 years, we're, we're in real trouble. So it depends on your perspective. I think what's really interesting and what a lot of people have been commenting on is that ba Ajay Banga has such a clear vision um, that he's articulated. We've got a better bank and then a bigger bank. Uh, and that sequence is very important. And I think on the better part in terms of squeezing out uh, existing resources, optimizing the balance sheet with various vehicles, hybrid capital, loan guarantees, etc. Most people have been positive about it um, that I've heard in, in these CAF reforms that, that people are discussing, uh, that these are tentative steps, but they're, they're going in the right direction and that hopefully there'll be more money that can be squeezed out of the balance sheet over the next few years. Um, but even Ajay Banga himself has admitted that it's not quite enough. Um, so the next question that everyone gets to is a capital increase. And that has kind of been the big question, even though we're still just talking about the better part and we've just started that, the bigger part is what everyone is so focused on and whether there'll be an actual capital increase. 
Look at you, Anna. You've only been here a couple of days and already you're using the lingo of the World Bank Reform World, the CAF, of course, the Capital Adequacy Framework. This, uh, you know, pretty important as, as white papers go, uh, document that kind of laid out ways that the World Bank could actually dramatically expand the amount of lending that it does using the existing paid-in capital that it, that it has. And uh, I think, you know, that, that uh, Capital Adequacy Framework document was just one piece of this broader movement that's kind of got us to the point of these annual meetings when, as you rightly say, there's like so much on the table. Uh, Banga has talked about a bigger bank coming after a better bank. He's also, you know, talked a lot about changing the very mission of the bank and really integrating climate right into the mission. So in that sense, his, his new vision is, you know, pretty dramatic. It's a big change and, um, you know, not without some controversy, but I think by and large has been very well received. There's just so much anticipation for this event. And the, the, I think the big question I'm hearing from everyone is, look, we know that Banga has said, and his team has said, look, he's going to need time. This is not an institution that you, you know, suddenly move on a dime. This is more like a, a cruise liner. It takes time to, to change. And so, you know, I think he and his team have been trying to push expectations down. But here we are, you know, recording this on Thursday afternoon here in Marrakesh. And uh, I guess there's a sense that maybe there's some bigger things to be announced yet, or maybe there's a chance that something more tangible rather than just, you know, vision statements will come out of these meetings. What are you hearing so far on that front, Anna? Well, I think two big things, you know, Ajay Vanga is set to do um, uh, a speech tomorrow. And so far his speeches have been, uh, I don't want to say fairly predictable, but he's been on message, whether it's been at the Council on Foreign Relations, whether it was his main presser this week. So we'll see if there's any new announcements. Really the big thing is the evolution roadmap really lays out the key points, like you said, climate change. And it will be a matter of if the Board of Governors approves it and it looks like that would happen. But of course, there's still more meetings to come over the weekend. I think the other big thing to, to keep an eye out for is the second volume of the G20 uh, Independent Experts Group Report, IEG. So yes, I'm starting to remember my acronyms. Um, and hopefully that wasn't wrong, but I, I think that that was accurate. But uh, so the original one, you know, said that we need uh, MDBs need like three trillion dollars to in order to really address the issues that, that Ajay Banga has laid out, specifically climate change. So we'll see what the second iteration comes up with. Um, and I think that's something that everyone will be looking for, because really the first one wasn't clear that that three trillion would endanger the bank's. Uh, very coveted AAA credit rating. And there's been other reports coming out from Rockefeller Foundation as well, where it's again, all about what can we squeeze out of the balance sheet? How much can be done without jeopardizing that AAA credit rating? And I'd be really interested to know if this second iteration of, iteration of the G20 report will lay out a specific number, but while keeping that credit rating intact. Yeah, and of course, you know, when those early calls for reform came about, interest rates were a lot lower, the economic situation was a lot more benign. And even then, you had many people saying, look, the, the bank has got to be careful. Uh, that AAA credit rating is there for a reason. I think that argument holds even more water today uh, as we look around the world and around the region at very high levels of interest rates and, you know, this idea of higher for longer. Um, and yeah, still a lot of conversation around the potential for debt defaults happening 
all over the world, and you've got many of the World Bank's client countries, the borrowers that simply can't go to the markets anymore to borrow money. They're sort of tapped out. Uh, so the, the bank's credit rating in some ways is, is more important that, than ever. Um, in fact, we just got off stage at an event we hosted uh, with the Open Society Foundations, uh, given the fact that we're here in Morocco talking about what's going on in this region in particular, and the idea that these are countries, and we're thinking about you know the MENA region, a lot of low-income, middle-income countries that are big importers of fuel and of food, and you know they're squeezed. Their public debt is growing. Um, their growth rates of their economies are relatively low, and uh, food prices are up, and and their populations are getting you know more and more squeezed. Many people being pushed into into poverty or further into poverty, and the role of the World Bank there is is really critical. And of course. You get people in civil society saying, as they've said to our reporters and on stage, look, we need more money. Um, these institutions need to be able to grow and they need to have a capital increase at the World Bank. But the political environment in donor countries is you know, really not very hospitable to that. So it, it seems like the conversation for Banga is he's caught a little bit between political realities, especially in Washington, D.C., where there isn't even a Speaker of the House, um, and the needs on the ground in the many countries he's visited. And he's trying to say, look, give me a little more runway. Give me a little more time. Uh, we're going to make this institution better first. first. Then I'm going to go out there and try to get additional funding for it. And I think the key to that, Raj, is not just from what I'm hearing from civil society, is not just give me money, but give me free money. Um, because at the end of the day, the World Bank is a bank. It gives loans that need to be repaid. And like you said, there are dozens of countries that um, are in debt distress and, and could fall into default. Uh, and, you know, when you're asking countries to invest in, you know, the so-called global common goods of, of climate change, pandemic preparedness, um, you're asking that investment, you're asking them to take out loans. And these are countries that are already heavily indebted. So it does become this dilemma of, you know, churning to the World Bank, but you're really churning uh, to hopefully a lot of people want concessional financing, which is the very, on very generous terms, or even grants. But those really make up a very small portion of overall the portfolio. A lot of the things that people have been saying that they're keeping an eye out this, uh, these next few months is actually the IDA replenishment, International Development Association, for the, the poorest of the poor countries. And that's up for replenishment. And I've been asking a lot of people what they think, do they think shareholders will step up? And the answers have been uniformly, I doubt it. Um, you know, even Ajay Banga, he had a great quote. Uh, uh, let's see, I'll find it. Cause I have to say it, it was like a pimple, a dimple on Lance's left cheek, <laughs> something like that. But, um, you know, he himself said the paid-in capital for IDA is is not remotely what the world needs. So I don't know. Maybe you have some thoughts on what this replenishment might mean, and if and if just that, if shareholders will step up for it. Yeah, I guess I'm I'm hopeful, and I've talked to people on both sides of that debate, but I'm hopeful that there, that donors will step up for the IDA replenishment. I think that's a much more realistic prospect, um, where I think things get much more challenging politically as a capital increase. Um, especially given what that might mean for increasing China's shareholding in the bank, uh, just given the proportional size of their economy. And so that, that may be further away and maybe a, a bigger challenge. Um, you know, I do think that 
there was some news in a sense that uh, so far, even though we're early in these annual meetings, in that Banga uh, talked about the need to collaborate among multilateral development banks, which while that's not necessarily new money, it's a way of saying we can do more with what we have if these banks agree to collaborate and work together in a more streamlined way. You know, we reported back in September that uh, he had a meeting you know, over drinks with Elon uh, Goldfein, who's the president of the IDB, and they uh, hashed out a, an MOU that said they're going to work together on deforestation and livelihoods in, in the Amazon, as well as some other issues, digitization for education and uh, you know, Caribbean uh, resilience for natural disasters. Um, so I think there's a sense that, look, bank presidents are going to do what they can with the resources they have. Uh, we've heard the AAIB as well. We had an op-ed from the president of the AIB in our pages earlier this summer talking about this very issue. So in a world of constrained resources, they're trying to do what they can. And we've heard that already at these annual meetings. And, you know, my expectation is we may hear something more on that point in his bigger speech tomorrow. We might even hear something about the private sector because I think there's been a lot of anticipation that in Ajay Banga, we've got a leader who knows the private sector. He's, of course, famously the former CEO of MasterCard. And, uh, and there's a sense that, well, he's said private sector is important and he's announced that the bank is going to do more with the private sector. There hasn't been a lot of meat on that bone yet. And perhaps we'll hear something tomorrow that does flesh that out a little bit more because like collaboration with other MDBs, it, it sits in the domain of things he can probably control with the current capital available to him and to, and to his institution. Yeah, and it's, I'm glad you mentioned the, the, the concept of collaboration. So I actually just spoke the other day with the head of Elon Goldfan, the head of the Inter-American Development Bank, um, on the partnership with, with uh, World Bank. And the key that he said to me is that it's very specific and doable, that they're not over-promising. There's three main areas where they're cooperating, including the Amazon rainforest, uh, disaster resilience in the Caribbean, and uh, digital access across Latin America. And when I asked why, why those particular three, he said, because that's what we can do. Uh, and I think that that is really an interesting message because on the one hand, it's collaborating. On the other hand, it's not over-promising people. Um, and so you are, I think, I think, you know, Raj, you're right. You're, you're seeing movement here on this front. You had the Asian Development uh, Bank recently announced that they are also going to expand their portfolio and their lending by $100 billion over 10 years. Uh, Ajay Banga's, the latest figure, I think, is like $200 billion over 10 years. So um, on the one hand, there's been this movement, but with that caveat, over 10 years. So, you know, you're talking five to ten billion a year, certainly not nothing. But as the World Bank president himself has said, not good enough. And that gets to your, your point of paid in capital. If if the U.S. can't quite agree on Ukraine aid, I don't know that a multilateral institution like the World Bank will be put up as a priority. And, you know, you do have other countries, Germany, South Korea, that have ex expressed flirted with the idea, but realistically, I, I don't want to call it a pipe dream, but um, it's certainly a dream for the future in terms of, and like you said, you have the complication of China as well. Hi, I'm Kate Warren, Executive Editor at DevEx. If you're listening to this podcast, you're likely working to achieve the Sustainable Development Goals. But are you subscribed to DevEx Newswire? 
Global development can be a fast-moving, complex sector. Our team of global reporters work every day to bring you the news you need to make sense of it all. In DevX Newswire, we keep you up to date on issues ranging from climate change financing to gender equality and global health to transforming the food system, all in a fun-to-read, free newsletter delivered directly to you five days a week. Join the hundreds of thousands of global development professionals who receive DevX Newswire and visit devx.com slash newsletters to sign up to this free newsletter today. Again, you hear a lot of people at these meetings who are sympathetic to where, you know, Ajay Banga finds himself, that, that there's a real challenge. On the other hand, they're looking for him to do as much as he possibly can with the authorities and resources that he has. So that's, yes, A, sweat the balance sheet. He's already announced that, the 150 or $200 billion that you mentioned um, coming out of just the capital they already have, finding new ways to, to use the money that they already have and make it go further. But also things like partnering with the private sector, pulling them into more World Bank activities, things like collaborating with other MDBs that we talked about. He's gone on the record now about uh, African trade and inter- interregional trade and how there's a, you know, more of an opportunity there. And so I just think as there's more focus on the bank, countries are, are more in need of the bank's leadership. Uh, there's just more of an opportunity for the bank with a new leader and with one who's pretty bold and has a big vision to set the terms of debate uh, in global development. And, and in a way, you're seeing a kind of a power shift here uh, from bilateral aid, which is under a lot of pressure and going down in many places, uh, to multilateral development banks and the tools that they have, particularly given the climate crisis and how so much of addressing you know, mitigation, renewable energy and um, adaptation, which is going to be a lot of infrastructure, given that the tools that these agencies have, these MDBs have, really are well suited toward the climate crisis in the way that bilaterals um, in some senses are less suited and, and have a declining, uh, declining budget. There's a bit of a shift of power here. And I think you can see it at this annual meeting in terms of the turnout, the attention that, that it's getting. Well, I'm glad you talked about climate change because we haven't touched on that yet. But, you know, what's fascinating is the, the mandate of the bank evolving. Uh, again, Ajay Banga has been super clear about this. It's, you know, a world free of poverty on a, quote, livable planet. And what I found really interesting is the fact that this seems there was this debate for many months of whether the bank can uh, tackle both poverty and climate change at the same time. It seems to almost be a moot point because he's established that, yes, climate change is a priority alongside poverty alleviation. But a lot of people I spoke to were concerned that, you know, this that the bank can't do both and that this was a very Western led top down decision-making process that really wasn't open to public consultation. Because if you ask some officials from Africa, which I did, um, is climate change their priority? One blatantly told me that it's ensuring that our child lives to age five and not as worried about what happens 50 years from now. And that was a powerful statement. And I think it just gets to the point where there is only one pot of money that we're talking about. and there are going to be winners and losers. And I think this also gets to another point of we often talk about the divide between the wealthy and the poor, but there's also another divide and climate change has heightened this 
is the schism between lower income countries and middle income countries. Middle income countries are more eligible for mitigation uh, measures because they're larger greenhouse gas emitters. And that, you know, is an investment versus, like you said, adaptation. Poorer countries desperately need adaptation. Uh, they're not major emitters, but adaptation has a much lower return on investment. And so the big question is, how can you satisfy both? And I didn't get any firm answer on it because I don't think there, there are any easy answers on it. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And I think um, as uh, Banga will find, you know, all of these issues are highly politicized and there's people who want to politicize them even further, as you say, because they don't want to be the loser in the end of this. Um, of course, there isn't such a clear dichotomy between saving lives of, of uh, kids, you know, turning five uh, and what's going to happen 50 years from now in climate, because climate is here and now. It's certainly here in, in uh, the global south in a big way, and it's affecting those five-year-olds, right? So it isn't such a, such a clear trade-off. But on the other hand, there is a debate between can the World Bank do more middle-income countries, and are they going to do that at the expense of the, of the least developed countries? And so if you're in a context in which there's no new money coming, it makes those debates just that much harder, which is why so many in the civil society uh, organizations are calling for more money from donors. But, you know, you get caught in this loop. And so I think what Banga is doing, you know, really smartly from using his private sector experience is trying to put things in very plain terms and talk about the issues he can tackle right now, what's in front of him. Um, and you know, I think he's trying to make the institution and the issues it works on just much more relevant to the broader public and to try to build support in a way that hopefully, ultimately, will lead to more money coming into, into the bank. So, you know, it really is a different moment. It is a different leader and not just in a, you know, in a, in a kind of symbolic way. I think in a really pretty significant qualitative way, there's, there's a different era here at the bank. Yeah, I definitely agree with everything you've said. And I think that there's more, we've been hearing the billions to trillions narrative for quite a long time. Um, it hasn't been fulfilled. And there are a lot of people who think, you know, the private sector, it's not that easy to just, you know, bring them on board into risky countries. Um, any investor wants a return on their investment at the end of the day, they want to make a profit. Um, so, but I think that you now have uh, both Ajay Banga and Elon Goldfan from IDB coming from the private sector, that there's this more of a realistic view that potentially, again, he's not over-promising. And I think that that's the key. He's saying these are incremental steps and you have to, this, this man's only been on the job for what, 140 days or, or something like that. I'd hate to be dissected after only 140 days. Um, but, but again, I think that's, that's kind of one of the key messages is there is forward movement, but it is incremental. And same thing with the private sector is we want to bring them on board, but it's not going to happen overnight. And it's not probably going to be the billions to trillions that the development world is often talked about. Yeah. And I don't want to forget that this is also the annual meetings of the IMF, right? And, and Kristalina Georgieva has been, as usual, very outspoken here. And, um, it is clear that climate is front and center for them too. So that is a big shift when you think about these two institutions uh, where you know, climate was maybe a debatable point at some stage in, in under earlier leadership, and now it is really front and center for both institutions. That, that is in a sense incremental because it's, it's rhetorical, but could lead to some more significant change if, if those two leaders can be successful. 
Um, and it is a bit of a crucible moment for both, you know, because as I mentioned earlier, we were just on stage with Open Society Foundations talking about the heavy amounts of debt facing a number of countries in the MENA region. I mean, you can look out across dozens of countries that people have been warning are at unsustainable debt levels. And people have been saying, hey, there's a debt crisis coming. It hasn't come, which is kind of surprising, but it doesn't mean it's not coming still. And uh, in fact, if you look at the realities of higher interest rates and you know, continued inflation in, in areas like food, uh, there's a, a real probability that at least many of those countries could find themselves in some kind of a debt crisis. And so while right now there's relative calm uh, as, we, as these annual meetings are being hosted, you could find soon a crisis situation that might really change the tenor of the debate. Um, and might even provide a, a political window for uh, both Georgieva and Banga to appeal to the world and say we need more firepower to be able to to live up to our mandates. Yeah, definitely. And then there's the obvious elephant in the room is potential wider conflict in the Middle East um, and the yet another external shock. Um, and I think having conversations with people this week is what impact does it have? It's really too soon to tell, but there's just no way that it won't have an impact. And like you said, it kind of edges us closer to a potential recession because this has been a very durable global economy, of course, with the caveat that that depends on the country you're talking about, very much depends on the country you're talking about. Um, but I've tried to ask people, you know, what they think of the uh, situation in Israel, and the Gaza Strip, uh, you know, what that portends. And it's just one shock after another, and that something eventually will break. And I think um, I think it probably will, but hopefully it won't. There's cautious, cautious optimism that it won't, but there are just so many shocks out there. I don't know how many more uh, the global economy can take. Yeah, just to give people a sense of maybe some of the other things that are happening on the sidelines of these annual meetings, uh, just as we wrap up here, Anna, uh, you know, we're about to have a conversation with MSD for Mothers about the opportunities that exist around cancer care um, and how it connects to the broader question of universal health coverage. So, you know, there, there are some, although you're right about the global economy and about the situation in Israel and Gaza, there are some issues that are, you know, pretty, pretty uh, negative when you look at the global stage. There's also some big opportunities that are being talked about on the sidelines. We also have the Hilton Foundation here talking a lot about the opportunity to engage both the civil society sector and the philanthropy sector into kind of a broader coalition. So it's not just about private sector when the World Bank thinks about its evolution and, and how to harness the, the, the opportunities beyond the public sector. Um, what are some of the other things you're hearing on the sidelines or what are some of the other um, issues that you think are being brought up around the, the outskirts of this event? Well, the one thing I heard today, and fortunately it was at our own event, is that a lot of the side events are more interesting than the main, main events because they tend to be scripted. Um, and you're hearing the same thing over and over again. The World Bank, you know, the new playbook, it'll be speedier, it'll be more efficient. Whereas the side events, you really get into it. And I think we had a perfect example of that. We just got out of our own event here where there was the debate about austerity versus inclusive growth in the Middle East. And it got a bit heated, uh, as you know, you were the moderator, Raj, um, about the responsibility of the IFIs um, coming in and, and coming into countries and imposing austerity measures versus good governance and all of that. So um, 
I, what I'm looking forward to is actually more side events, but I think really seeing what is approved in the evolution roadmap. Again, we kind of know uh, that Bonga's vision will be approved. It's not a huge surprise, but it will still lend him credence and momentum to continue with it. So I think that's kind of going to be the biggest outcome, but don't lose sight of the side events. They're, uh, they're fascinating. Yes, that's how it always is at these official convenings, which is why we're here and we try to liven things up on the sidelines. Um, and this has been a lively conversation, Anna, so it's been great to have it with you. And uh, we will continue to, to be on the ground here and asking all the questions and bring it to you in our reporting. So thanks for joining us once again for this week in global development. Thanks, Raj. This has been This Week in Global Development. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe using the link in the description. To get even more coverage and analysis on the most pressing development issues of the day, become a DevX Pro member by going to devx.com membership and signing up. Thank you for listening and see you next week.